Welcome to the Cinema Catch-Up Club, the podcast for films that you probably should have seen by now. I'm your host, Dr. Stephen Platt. Thank you very much for downloading this week's episode. And we're back, baby! Yes, that's right. This is our first episode of the podcast where we actually watch films that we're recording (laughs) uh, since the SAG After Strikes concluded. Um, And guess what? We've got it just in time. For Christmas. Yay! Yay. Good timing, honestly. Yeah, so we are finishing uh, what's been a very, very strange year for the programme with two Christmas episodes. Don't worry about those of you who are like, but the quizzes, they're not done yet. They'll they'll still be being released over the festive period and into January. Um, But we are going to be reviewing some films. We are finishing off 2023, as is traditional, with a couple of Christmas films. The first of which is a bit of an interesting one. Um... It's a made-for-TV movie, and if you've clicked on this, you'll know what it's called. It's called Terry Pratchett's Hogfather. Uh, Part of the reason we're watching it is it's a Christmas film, but another part of the reason we're watching it is uh, one of the episodes that we were going to be doing uh, that were then cancelled because of the SAG-AFTRA strike was a Discworld-focused episode because it's the 40th anniversary of the Discworld. Um, So we were going to look at doing The Colour of Magic TV adaptation uh, because that book is 40 years old. Uh, but uh, basically we was like oh we can do episodes again we probably can't do Colour of Magic now but he did do a Christmas thing and they made a TV film out of it so we're going to watch The Hogfather uh, which was first released I think in 2006 Uh, so um, we are having uh, two guests as is traditional Uh, someone who has seen the film before and someone who has not our guest of Christmas film not yet seen it is Katrina Johnston hi Stephen how are you Katrina I'm good I'm sleepy but I'm good it is a very sleepy kind of day today yeah it's about 30 degrees it's a little bit hazy is it seriously it got to a max of 30 I think it's probably dropped down now but yeah, it's been a sort of... It's been a breeze at the very least. Yeah. yeah. Sort of I like can a, deal with a 30 yeah. degree day as long as there's like a cool breeze happening. Yeah. Mm. But yeah, sort of a warm, lazy, traditional Australian pre-Christmas yes. day. Yes, um, much so. Obviously, you've not been on the program since um, since we were doing the quizzes. Yes. Uh, right at the beginning. Um, so so how, how are you? How have you been since then? Oh, I've been pretty good. Been busy. Uh, lots of work. Lots of people needing stuff lit. Mm-hmm. And I provide that light because you're you an provide arsonist. The illumination. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes, because I am an arsonist. It is yes. weather. No, prof- prof- we'll help you burn down any building for the right price. Yeah, your professional stage uh, illumineer, as I would yes, call them. Yes. So yes, um, well, that's good. It's yeah. been busy now. Um, Hogfather, mm. you've not seen this. No. Um, have you read much of? Pratchett's Discworld books? I have read w- exactly one. Ah, Pratchett. Right. Discworld book that mm-hmm. you recommended and in fact it got me thinking when you asked me on for this episode you could actually do uh, an entire podcast I think based on you recommending Discworld to people and mm. like almost using it as a horoscopy kind of thing. It's like, hmm, yes, I can feel this in your personality. So try this one of yeah. the, kind of of the did, Discworld. I mean, you kind of did do that this year. So um, my, my brother has two kids and um, mm. his eldest turned 10 this year. Yeah. And so Stephen said, oh, I want to, like, we need to get her something nice for her birthday. And we got her a couple of bits and pieces. Um, 
But one of the things that he got specifically was we looked for a really nice hardcover copy of The Wee Freeman mm. because that's the first Tiffany Aching book um, in Discworld. And I'm going to have to ask her where she's up to with it because she was really enjoying it because yeah. the main character is a girl who's about the same sort of age, Aww. who's into like witchy stuff. And yeah. Mm. yeah. So I feel like... Some, that's, that's, some that's like your, your secret skill. Mm, my secret Just skill is... Just recommending Discworld books. Yes. Uh, full disclosure, I do quite like the Discworld books. Um, <laughs> they're, they're a lot of fun. And uh, so, so you read um, The Truth. Was that the newspapers? Uh, no, I haven't, I've still got that one. I what still was, I haven't read it. It was the other one. The oh, that's right. I gave you two. What Small Gods. Small Gods. Thank yes. you. Yes. No, because yeah. I was like, it wasn't Guards, Guards, because that's what I gave Andrew Dawson. Yeah. I'm just like, I'm just, I'm just a Pratchett distributor these you days on, on the side. Um, Small Gods. Excellent. Yeah. So yeah, Hogfather, um, in terms of the canon of books, falls almost exactly bang in the middle mm. it's 20th of 41 mm. uh, books so it's um right in the middle of the whole series i am aware of i think and maybe i have actually seen two minutes of mm. this mm. um tv movie because mm. i am aware of the concept of the Hogfather, mm. that it is like the pratchett universe's answer to santa claus mm. yeah um and yeah and so yeah i'll be intrigued to see if it's if it's the one that I've seen exactly like two minutes of it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, just thinking about that one Discord book that you've read, I'm like, mm, there is there is some crossover in terms mm. of themes, uh, but with the exception of the character of death, yeah. I don't think there is any crossover with anybody yeah. <laughs> character wise, <laughs> uh, but it should be good fun. Our mm. other guest um, who you've heard uh, briefly in the background there, it's yeah. Dr. Ellen Sears. Hi, Stephen. How are you, Dr. Ellen? Yeah, good. Also sleepy. Yeah. It's a sleepy day. It is a very yeah. sleepy day. Um, now, The Hogfather. Yeah. You have seen this film. I have. I watched it with you a couple of Christmases ago. It would have been a few Christmases ago, yeah. Like maybe three or four years ago, maybe? So in a vague, non-spoilery sort of way, what is The Hogfather about? Um, <laughs> I'm trying to think. I'm I've no, I don't think I've ever seen you struggle so much. <laughs> um, well, I mean, you, you're, you're correct in saying that um, The Hogfather is kind of the Discworld's... Um, answer to santa claus mm. um but the hog father isn't really about him it's more about mm. um somebody else sort of trying to take on that job to varying degrees of success okay is probably the best way to put it and i'm so not going to say anything more <laughs> so is tim allen's film santa claus inspired by this that is the big question um <laughs> I think I think Hogfather predates the Tim Allen film, but no, the, the the novel the, does. The book would, yeah, but not by enough where I'm willing to say that was a complete joke. It was, by the way, yeah, no, I, I, <laughs> yeah, but, it's, but it but it is interesting in terms of like how different Christmas stories mm. influence each other. Yeah. Mm. Um. So you look at something like um, whether or not you consider it a Christmas film, but you look at the impact that Die Hard has had on yes. Christmas films. Yes. Where you can have a film like Violent Night, which came out last year with mm. David Harbour, as basically what if, San- or, what if Santa Claus have, was John McClane? Schwarzenegger Christmas Jingle film. Jingle all the way. That's it. Yeah. yeah. That where he's one. trying to get the toy for his yeah. kid. Yeah. yeah. Where it's sort of so like looking at how that's these... such a fun silly film. Yeah. And so looking at how these different um, films influence each other, and and something like Hogfather as a book could have had an influence. 
because it is a story yeah. not dissimilar to Santa, the Santa Claus. I just realised, Long Kiss Goodnight, that's a Christmas film too. Mm-hmm. Mm. We, we did it a couple of years ago as a Christmas yeah. film. It was, it was good fun. I forgot about that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah it's yeah. great. Um, but anyway, with all that being said, shall we watch Terry Pratchett's Hogfather? Let's do it. Yep, let's go. It's a long one, so... Yes, yes. Okay, well, for those of you uh, listening at home, pop on those DVDs, load up those streaming services, and practice saying your ho-ho-hos as we watch Hogfather. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, we have just finished watching The Hogfather, and by we, I of course mean Dr. Ellen Sears. Hello. And Katrina Johnston. Hello. And by just finished. <laughs> um, I have to admit at this point that what you're hearing now is our second attempt at reviewing <laughs> The Hogfather. Mm. Um, when did we? It was a few days ago we watched it. That it was week? a week ago. Was it a week ago? I'm pretty sure. It was pretty much exactly a week, I think. Wow, it was okay. Last Thursday. Yeah. <laughs> because a week ago, yeah. uh, we, we did record it, and it was amazing, and it was mm-hmm. wonderful, and it would have won a load of awards, if I'm sure. Uh, but unfortunately, um, some of that review was corrupted. Um, I, I don't know what happened. It is a brand new technical mess up on the 328th episode. The computer still finds a way to do something different um so yes uh what you may hear because i don't know what the edit's going to look like yet um you may have already heard the section that was recorded because it was a good good 20 minutes of chat that we had that survives um so and then the recording said no we don't want to hear anything else from Stephen (laughs) and ellen it just wants you are underwater. an essay from me. Yes, <laughs> uh, yeah. Two of the microphones failed, so you only heard Katrina. So you heard her making a point, and then occasionally going, "Uh huh." Yes. The yeah, and the problem is, I actually do. I do a lot of interjections mm-hmm. a lot. I, I've noticed now. <laughs> now that it's now that I've just heard just you. Me. <laughs> so. Um, How much I'm very quietly going. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Mm. So, so with that being the case, we thought, you know what. It's it's Christmas. It's Hogswatch. We'll just get back together and have a little Hogswatch miracle. Yeah, so we'll get, we'll, get, we'll get the band yeah. back together. We've just got to believe. Yes. Again. I mean, to be fair, we only live like 10 minutes away from yeah, each other. So that's mm. handy. It's not too bad. Yeah. So what we're going to do is um, you are going to hear a little sound transition or something. And then when we come back, you'll be hearing us a week ago doing the first section of our review, which admittedly... We don't talk about the film that much in it, but it's there. And then when that ends and you get another transition, you'll return and you'll hear us today on the 14th um, actually reviewing the rest of the film. So uh, we'll see you in a moment, but our past selves will see you even sooner. First time watching Terry Pratchett's Hogfather. Two hog, two father. Yes. Uh, what What did you think? <laughs> um, yeah, it was it was quite uh, a ride, mm. um, both in my feelings towards the movie and the movie itself. Mm. I actually I ended up really enjoying it, but there was some long sections, particularly mm. in the first one. I found where I was like. Oh, I'm not a fan of this editing. Oh, mm. oh, I just feel like 
there's a whole bunch of information that I'm being given and just sort of presented to me. I'm like, I don't know what to do with this. Mm. Uh, it it yeah. is quite long. I mean, all, all yeah. up the runtime is just over three hours yeah. between the two one and a half hours. Because they were designed to be two 90-minute specials. Yeah. Um, so we've kind of cheated and watched the whole thing in one go. We have. Um, so it... I'm just Lord of the Rings to that, baby. Yeah, and mm. it is it is quite long as a single sitting thing, but we do have to acknowledge it wasn't designed for that. Yeah. Um. But but in terms of which is what, fine. Yeah. In terms I of think, what you've said, though, I agree. Yeah, like, I think the second half plays a lot better. Yes. Or at least it kept my attention for longer. It could be very easily edited one. down into like a two and a bit hour. Yeah. Thing, and you could chop a lot of stuff out or make it shorter. Hmm. Yeah. I don't know what you would chop out, but yeah. I, I think you just cut down some of yeah. it, to be honest. Like there's a few longer pauses or longer shots or the yeah. end of a scene has an extra five seconds of characters moving through the space. Yeah, um, like there, there are definitely areas. That just all that cut. incidental kind of stuff. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Um, but I'm, I'm glad to hear that you enjoyed it though. Yeah, I did by the end. Well, by the end, mm. I was actually worried about Susan. So mm. Su- Susan or Susan? Yeah. Susan. Yeah. I was actually worried about her. So, you mm. know. They, they, it worked its magic on me. Yeah, excellent. And yeah. um, Ellen, uh, now uh, one thing I forgot to ask in the in the intro: um, mm-hmm. Have you read any Discworld books? No, I haven't read any Discworld. Okay, oh. so you... I'm familiar with the Discworld mm. mainly by virtue of just being married to you and having yes. watched a couple of the adaptations with you specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sort of vaguely familiar with some of Pratchett's work with Neil Gaiman because obviously there's been a lot of adaptations of stuff in recent mm-hmm. years like good omens, good omens mm. yes um but no i haven't actually read any pratchett mm. well i have do i have recommendations for, recommendation <laughs> for you well what book would you recommend that i start with if you're oh. going to recommend a book for me to start with oh ellen actually look, what a just, question to ask just to bring it back to what we're watching <laughs> would you recommend hogfather mm. or Hog, is it is the book called hogfather yeah the, book, the book which i have here yeah. is just called hogfather yeah yes. would you recommend hogfather as a Gateway drug. Yeah. To Pratchett. As it were. I and then s- you can go into what you're going to recommend. Ellen. Yeah, sure. I would say, in terms of of the of the screen Pratchett properties. Yeah. Um, I think she if uses it's, the book. If Just it, in general. If it's yeah. December, yes. That, yeah. I think that's the thing. I think oh, Hog, okay. Hogfather's a pretty good standalone book, even though technically Susan and Death as characters, I mean, Death is in virtually all of the Discworld books, mm. but Susan has already been in one book. Um, her parents have their own book earlier on as yeah. well, um, but it is a pretty good standalone story. Mm. Um, you don't need and you can too always much read them out of order. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah. I mean, the... and it just kind of adds more context then to the ones that you've already read. Yeah, True. I mean, the way that Pratchett wrote them was, yeah, you should be able to pick any one of them up and be mm. fine to understand what's going on. You might miss a bit of context here yeah. and there. Because there, there are very strong feelings yeah. within the Discworld fandom mm. yeah, about yeah. what order. Yeah. to read them in yeah the, the like, main the main thing is star wars movie yeah. order got it's, nothing on these it's, guys oh, it's almost like the witcher books actually mm. i remember after the tv series came out i was like yeah. oh, i'll give the books a go because apparently they're quite good yeah um that's my opinion of them mm. um i picked one up at a bookshop and was like oh i'll do a quick google see if that's the one i should read first and that Google was very confusing, and I was wrong. <laughs> I would say, in terms of screen adaptations, mm. 
any of the ones that were produced by Sky, because this was mm. this was the first of three productions that Sky won did. Yeah. Mm. So there was this, there was uh, The Colour of Magic, which mm. they did a couple of years later, and then there was Going Postal. Yeah. And they all work quite well as screen adaptations. I think um, Going Postal is probably the strongest, but I think they kind of knew what they were doing by then. Yeah, it, yeah. If you do you Going hope. Postal, can you have me on as an ex-postal worker? Certainly. Oh, yeah. you will love Going Postal. <laughs> yeah. um, but, but in terms of obviously a starting point for the books, I think mm. the only thing everyone agrees on is Don't Start don't with start the First with the Book. Don't Start with the Colour of Magic, yeah. Oh, okay. Simply because it wasn't originally written to be a book. Mm. Um, it was a series of short stories that were published over several years it was one continuous story but they were published as short stories and then they were so he almost published them in yeah in a dickens yeah and then that's where he got his start he he did a lot of short stories for magazines and that type of thing well that was the thing back then yeah Yeah. he wrote a lot of really wrote a lot of children's fiction um Mm. and then his his color of magic work was essentially just going boy the fantasy genre right now is just a lot of conan the barbarian types yeah uh, you know it's just a lot of um muscle guys and Which, ladies not wearing any clothes what if it wasn't that yeah and so color of magic was essentially a collection of these stories following yeah. rincewind the wizard and the, the first tourist in a fantasy world yeah um and then he wrote the light fantastic which was a sequel to the color of magic and is really probably the only book you can't read by by itself without context. Mm-hmm. And then he sort of, from there, he developed it into, I'm going to start writing these as standalone books. So you had Equal Rights, mm-hmm. and then you had Mort, which was the first death-focused book, which was also the book that first really got a lot of attention yeah. and a lot of um, wider popularity because it was also the first book he wrote with a plot. Mm. <laughs> as in, He even said that, that that's the book where he discovered the joy of plot. Yeah. So, and then from there, he just started continuing to write them at a very consistent mm-hmm. rate until his um, death in 2015. And so... 40 books, 41 books is yeah. damn That's good innings. And, yeah. and so in terms of... And they're not little books. No, yeah. they're not. Like, they're solid. Mm. Yeah. They're solid in both in size and in... Metaphor. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, if you were to start somewhere, I mean, for you specifically, I, mm. I gave you Small Gods and the Truth and said either of these are good. Yeah, um, and I still, I've barely gone past the first hundred pages of the truth. That's okay. Just, But I think that says more to my mm. uh, capacity of reading at the moment mm. because I've currently got about six books sitting on my bedside table which have been sitting there for mm. quite some time mm. and it's everything I'm a bit from like that in there as well. it's everything from i've got two stan grant books mm. <laughs> a ruth parker book yep. uh wilkie collins oh okay yeah because i read it because he got mentioned in a podcast that i listened to uh two towers oh yeah and f- just recently, uh, um, Clementine Ford's How We Love book. Mm. Oh, and actually, what should be on the bedside table, but it's sitting in my car, is Clementine Ford's latest book, um, mm. which is her case against marriage. Mm. So. The book that I just finished most recently was the uh, book Binders of Jericho, which is mm. a sequel slash companion novel to the dictionary of lost words this is i just realized this is almost becoming um but yeah by pip williams is an australian yeah. author so dictionary of lost words was a her first novel yeah i've mm. heard that's quite good knocked it out of the park mm. really good really good fun because it's about you know, you know how sometimes people are like we're going to do like a slightly historical 
fantastical yeah. revisionist text, which is like we're going to take this very, which is very male dominated, which is this very male dominated thing, <laughs> and we're going to tell you the story of what the women were doing. Mm. That's what it is, and it's about yeah. the Oxford English Dictionary, and one of the guys who's putting it together, it's about his daughter mm. and her putting together the dictionary of like women's words right. and stuff. And it's, oh, it's really good. And then, yeah, the follow-up is the yeah. book binders, the girls who are working in the book bindery at Oxford. Oh, and it's like, yeah, you'd probably really yeah. like it. Well, I, I listeners, but anyway. you've, got, you've got your recommendations <laughs> there for your books. Yeah, Williams is great. Yeah. yeah. But, that, but that's also the thing about when it comes to stuff with Pratchett conversations yeah. always do deviate into the, the books. books themselves what, and I think well, what, what book would you give me then because we yes, never got back yes, to that mm. what what book would you suggest that I start or books would you give me yeah to maybe between? even even just start starting up a character because just watching from that mm. I'm like I want to know about Susan I think she's a feminist hero <laughs> potentially within the disc world and I yeah. want to see if I am correct she kind of is yeah yeah um, and I know that just from this I would yeah. say weird sisters yeah, because okay. it's Pratchett doing Macbeth. Yeah, okay. Mm. Um, that's probably where I'd say starting for, for you. Um, yeah, that's fair. Uh, but, and for the listeners, I would say pick anyone that you want. But after you've watched The Hogfather, because that's yeah. what we're here to talk about. <laughs> um, now that we've gotten distracted. <laughs> but, but the thing is, is I think it's really difficult to talk about The Hogfather specifically mm. um, away from the context of the book. Mm. Because in terms of book to screen adaptations, it is one of the most faithful. Yeah. that i've encountered yeah um and you well, know we all know that there's been some not very good which, adaptations. yes which i think is why there were sections where i was like felt a bit disconnected from yeah. what was happening like it made up for it by mm. the fact that i felt connected to the characters mm. um and this is where scott suffling if you're listening that's why characters is better over plot <laughs> <laughs> don't give a shit about characters. Nobody's just going to give a shit about your plot. But you're absolutely right. It, yeah. it is that thing of like the characters are very likable. I mean, the, mm. the the story is, if you're just listening to this and you've decided, ah, I don't want to watch it. Um, death the, has got to save Christmas. Yeah, death's got to save Christmas. The Grim Reaper is going down chimneys and giving presents to, to everyone. That's exactly why yeah. I was like, I can't give away anything further than yeah. somebody is basically having yeah. to step in and take Santa's job. Yeah. Yeah. And, but but instead I'm not going to tell being, you who because that yeah. just spoils the whole thing. Instead of it just being Tim Allen, it's, <laughs> it's the Grim Reaper. It's, it's, it's death <laughs> well, himself. It kind of is Santa Claus, Tim mm. Allen's Santa Claus, mm. because he kills Santa. Because he kills Santa. That's true. Yeah, it's true. It's also we discovered quite a bit like Die Hard because there's a heist <laughs> in there as well. Yeah, and the baddie falls th- off a big falls tower. Off a big tower. That was actually one thing that I kind of thought. Sorry to interrupt you. Please synopsis. no, go ahead. I kind of thought like you were saying you can't talk about this film without talking about the books. I feel like if this is common across Terry Pratchett, you he. He embeds his books with within our world so much. Like mm. there's so much, you know. There's like so many we talk- references in this particularly yeah. to our mythos and our mm. yeah. Kind I've of just world. never I've never watched something so much and felt I want to connect it to this this um, thing. And oh, I think this episode of this show has been inspired by that, and yeah. this has been inspired by that, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe well, I'm just feeling particularly um, yeah. intertextual today. Well, mm. here's, here's the funny thing because obviously, like, so Terry was 
publishing stuff like kind of like the 80s was when he started getting really big right uh well Discworld started in 1983 um and but he was his first book was published in 1971 so Discworld Mm. specifically Mm. is like 80s leading into the 90s Mm. so the really the the big fantasy thing that also came out of England obviously in the 90s is Harry Mm. Potter and he had a lot of people who were like, oh, do you hate J.K. Rowling because she's taken the title of, like, fantasy queen? And he was just like, Ugh. also, I did it first. So, like, yeah. I don't care, basically. <laughs> like, he's, like, he's like, it's okay. I've got my stack of money. She can exactly. have hers. He's like, Honestly, I do. And, and, yeah, and, and what yeah, he does is what so was. different to what she yeah. did, mm. you know? Yeah. Well, well, the thing is, is what, what he did, and I think speaking to that intertextuality mm. is... It started out as a pastiche of yeah. contemporary fantasy, mm. of the he's of the swords very, and sandals. And he's very, very good at it. And it yeah. very quickly, but subtly, turned into his sort of pastiche of the world. He realised mm. that Discworld was a great framing device to retell stories from our world or look at issues yeah. in our world. So the, the third book in the series... Which is what fantasy really yeah. does. The third yeah, book in the, the series is it. called Equal Rights, but spelled R-I-T-E-S. And it's about um, oh, yeah. the first female wizard. Mm. And it's it's not one of his best books because it is still early. He's still figuring yeah. things out. But that theme of... That actual concept. That concept mm. of like gender and magic because gendered... Magic is quite gendered in the Discworld. Yeah. Women are witches almost universally, and men are mm. universally almost wizards if they can do magic. Yeah. Um, but the role of what wizards are and what witches are are very interesting, and particularly mm. the witches, uh, particularly his his witch characters like Granny Weatherwax and Nanny Og and mm. Magret and all of those um, are really fantastic stories that sort of reflect the idea of. Um, like hospice care is a big part of what the witches do. Like, oh, okay. a, a lot, a, like a lot of witchcraft is not necessarily knowing how to do magic. It's, it's like palliation. It's, it's knowing when not to do magic. <laughs> I really almost. need to tell you something. Yeah. So I've been listening to this uh, podcast called Betwixt the Sheets. Oh, yes. Excellent podcast. Would recommend. Um, so it's all about sex and culture. Mm. Uh, and one of the episodes was talking about the witches mm. and why women specifically mm. were persecuted as witches. Yeah. Uh, when now there was the belief that was held that both men and women could do magic. Mm. It was innate in women. Men had to learn. Mm. Yeah. And the reason why, say, in Iceland, the witch um, craze mm went mainly after men was because in Iceland magic is either ascribed to fays or fairies you know little folk mm. or it's runic mm. and only men could read runes mm. yeah and so yeah that's just really interesting that it goes into it and the funny thing is there also there's an episode that talks about the goddess of war and sex mm. and how if you go back into history gods and which reminded me of how the whole concept of the Hogfather is developed. It started as a blood ritual mm. and it's continued on. Which makes sense because yeah. like Christmas obviously is derived from pagan yeah. rituals mm. coming but out of the dark and all of that kind of thing. Goddesses always started out as something different. Aphrodite started out as like the goddess of some sort of uh, like uh, crop 
and then she mm. progressed. Yeah, which yeah. And the goddesses to do with sex and fertility always start out as a goddess of war. Mm. And it's just it's really really interesting when you start mm. looking into that, and it kind of frames um, concepts of patriarchy and and things like that very differently. And welcome, welcome back. Uh, we are now in the modern day, um, or the 14th of December, I yeah, guess. Yeah, it won't be the 14th. Time travel is confusing, is what I'm uh, learning here. Uh, but yes, yeah, so what we were discussing mm. previously was a lot about the context of where this film came from in terms yeah. of the books. And the adaptations. Uh, and that sort of thing. So now that we're here, and we've had a week to reflect on it mm. as well, um, Katrina, I'm, I'm curious. Let's let's zero in on your experience of watching the the shows itself because we did we did mention in the previous section and mm. you mentioned it even before we started recording yeah. that you found the first half a bit slow going compared to the second half. Yeah, yeah, I did because I, mean, I think it, just pacing was a little bit weird. Um, I think it was trying to get some things established. Uh, whereas the second half had a lot more action because um, they needed to resolve everything. Really. So the first half was kind of like almost yeah. like there was a bit, a bit more padding yeah. in there. Mm. So it was more establishing mm. stuff. And then it was like, okay, now we've got to like tick along. Yeah. And with the second one, like stuff's been established. So you can mm. just go at it mm. in terms of... Um, yeah, in terms of story, uh, because the characters are established. So, and it's not a book with an obvious halfway point either. Oh, in it? terms of for adaptation, mm. like it's, I think the way they did it for um, this this screen version was was really good. The way yeah. they sort of lined everything up so that you had sort of a crisis point to be your cutoff, like yeah. um, Susan rescuing the the O God from the Temple of Bones, as it was. Yeah. Um, falling down um and then contrasting that with the realization that the collection of the teeth uh, means that the children aren't believing in the hogfather anymore yeah. mm. um i thought it was a, it was a good idea to pair them up in yeah. terms of for a visual oh you got to come back tomorrow night and watch to find out what happens yeah mm. um but yeah when you're reading the book it's like yeah there isn't really an obvious halfway point mm. because it wasn't written to be and, split into come to think of it the fact that it takes so long for susan to get involved in the action like she stays at that house mm. with the kids for a long time really yeah. in the first one it's like no i don't um, want to come and do things yeah. and she's yeah. At, yeah, and be normal she's there longer in the book oh yeah um yeah they, they get her out the door a bit quicker mm. um not not that much quicker but it's a little bit yeah earlier because again a lot of what she's doing which a lot of pratchett characters particularly protagonists do is they have a lot of introspection there's mm. a lot of pages on what they're thinking about at that yeah. time or how they're resolving it uh which is not something you can really put on film because then it would just be michelle dockery just sort of just staring at yeah. a wall. sitting there thinking Go. or you'd have to do it as a voiceover and voiceovers can sometimes be Draft. a bit naff yeah. yeah yeah it's it's the curse of the two-part tv movie thing mm. yeah you've got to try and pad it out enough that you can mm. make up the runtime that you need mm. while also keeping it interesting while also yeah. including as much stuff as you can from the books while also figuring out how do you adapt this from yeah. a book format mm. into a screen format and it's interesting because obviously we've seen quite a lot of particularly fantasy novels 
get adapted into yeah. two-part films. Mm. Yeah. Currently, we've got Dune, sci-fi fantasy, um, yeah. where Dune part two is due to come out in a few months. Yeah. That film, or that story, does feel as though it has a really good halfway point. Yeah. yeah. Which I think they've they've made a smart choice in going, mm. oh, he's found... Paul, Paul, is it so Paul? Are they still found covering, the people in the desert? Are they still covering Paul. that one, just the one book yeah. within yeah. that film? Yeah. Yeah. I know there's, it's a big book. How many multiple books are there? So many. If yeah. my mum was Five here, she would give memory. you exactly yeah. how many. Because yeah. obviously so some, some of them are written by Frank Herbert's children mm. as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, there's, a, well, there's, there's June, there's Children of June, and then there's another couple that he wrote. Yeah. Mm. But yeah, Dune is like a, it's a big book. Yeah. Mm. Like it's a real chonker of a book. And same with Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. Like obviously I think that, splitting that into two halves was a good choice. Yeah. And yeah. I feel like the point where they made that split with uh, really spoilers, uh, where Dobby gets killed. Yeah. Um, but it's also where... Oh my God, I cried so much. Where our heroes get away from, uh, from the baddies. From the immediate danger. Yeah. And then they need to go confront the big bad. Yeah. Because yeah. they, 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 they're getting ready to go mm-hmm. raid Gringotts. Gringotts. Yeah, yeah, Gringotts at that point. Yeah, and right. so it gives you, like, it's a good point to be like, okay, mm. let's remeet our characters. They're getting ready to do this thing, which will lead to the other yeah. thing. Like, and, then you, think... and then you have the alternate thing, which is The Hobbit, which was just this kind of bloated, <laughs> overstuffed. I mean, yeah. my, my brother loved that. He was like, mm. I love that they put all this extra stuff in it. I wish they'd done that with Lord of the Rings and just yeah. put everything in it. And I was like, physically couldn't. Um, but like, no, there's Hobbit a reason. Got, Hobbit there's got reason really over bloated for me. Mm. There was too much in there. And The Hobbit. I still have not watched any of them outside of the first one mm. for Hobbit you're, you're probably fine I mean yeah. honestly okay we're going to talk about The Hobbit now uh, <laughs> the, but but it's a really interesting point because The Hobbit was obviously something that they added things from the Silmarillion mm. and other things that they could yeah. and, and extended it into that they were allowed trilogy. to yeah <laughs> but I think that The Hobbit suffered like the main central storyline suffered mm. from where they chose to make the cut between the second and third film oh yeah because the second film obviously they find Smaug uh, fantastic scene between benedict cumberbatch and martin freeman yet again but with yeah. benedict as a big dragon that that all the stuff that is actually bilbo and the central hobbit story is actually quite good mm. yeah but they choose to end that film midway through his encounter with smaug oh so the the, the dwarves try and take out smaug and they fail and so smaug goes right well i'm gonna go attack lake town now mm. and he's flying off towards lake town and then bilbo's like oh no what have we done cut that's the end of the second hobbit film okay. and the third hobbit film starts with the big Smaug attacking mm. lake town but so again it, it's like a pacing thing but it feels yeah. like having the climax of your second movie at the start of the third it'd be a bit like helm's deep wall explodes and they end the film there and yeah. then the third film starts with the rest of the battle of helm's deep is really what potentially feels would like. make return of the king better Oh, I know. Actually, I, I lie. Worse, because it would make it longer. Well, yes, <laughs> it's long enough that, as it that, is. And I was like, no, actually, ret- the issue with Return of the King was very much the ending, I felt. Mm. But yeah. It's it's so mm. hard to wrap up all those things. Yeah, yeah. and particularly with so and the examples that we're all using, just like Pratchett, are very complex worlds. Mm. Yes. That, um, the, there's a reason why they're started mm. as books or as comics or something like that. Yeah, because, because it's easy to get the more time. information. Yeah. 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 And yeah, I feel yeah, yeah. as though... That they, they did quite a good job in moving mm. the storylines a bit. So, so the character of Bilius, the yeah. the O God, is has a bigger role in mm. the books. Um, but they made him a character that was really just focused on the second half. Yeah, really, just someone to sort of help mm. elements of the plot along. So then Susan wouldn't have to worry about it. And to really fully explain yeah. the um, oh belief there's a, there's an abundance of belief with nowhere mm. to go because everyone has stopped believing in the hogfather yeah so now they are believing 
in anything that they say, like the mm. Vruger gnome or um, or, or the, the scissor monster or whatever yeah, it was they were what, thinking of. What was of. the one that about the hair? Oh, the hair loss fairy. Yeah, hair yeah. loss fairy. Oh, no, the hair loss gnome. Ha- was he a gnome? No, it was Vruger gnome, hair oh, loss yeah, fairy. Oh, yeah, gnome, hair loss fairy. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean... Which makes me wonder, yeah. okay, so if we superimpose that concept mm. onto the real world, mm. um, with like with declining birth rates, and I think it <laughs> is argued within, well, you could say it is argued within the Pratchett universe mm. that the abundance of belief is not because adults have stopped believing. Adults clearly don't really believe in the, in hog the hogfather, yeah. just like it's kind of weird nowadays if you're like you pay taxes and you vote and you believe in father christmas Mm. um does that yeah so if we have a falling birth rate therefore less Less little people to believe in the hog father would would we automatically from the falling birth rate have then more of these um, more of an issue with yeah. this belief thing. Well, yeah, and there's also that idea of, you know, children are finding out younger and younger. Yeah. But there would be less people to believe in the first place. So I think oh, the amount true. of belief would diminish. I mean, true. aging population. So, yeah. Because, I mean, the, the story, which I think is a really clever one, that actually mm. I think works slightly better in some respects being demonstrated on screen, yeah. um, is that the baddies are using the teeth collected by the tooth fairy yeah, and using that, you know, that old magic. And mm. they, they, they do a good job of having Ridley going, you know, oh, got to keep your toenails, otherwise people can use it against you. Yeah, but that idea that of toenails, like, teeth, hair, all yeah. these kind of things can be used against things you to make connected. you believe in things. So using and, that old folklore yeah. tradition and going, we've got 20 million kids' teeth here, we can make them not believe in the Hogfather and that yeah. will, quote unquote, Kill, kill the Hogfather, yeah. Because yeah. It's, it's a wonderful start. I think it's such a wonderful start to a story of having someone go, we need you to assassinate Santa Claus, and just thinking, how would you, how do, would yeah. you do? How do you do that, that yeah. if he's if he's not a flesh and blood person? Mm. How do you kill an idea? Yeah, and I think it's such a such a fun concept that they they then do a lot with, and mm, yeah. I think all that stuff with the original Tooth Theory being mm. the original Bogeyman. Yeah, and just all all of this stuff tied into like you know very early human storytelling concepts. Yeah. It's mm. it's really lovely, and it's but it's very it, it's it's a really mm. interesting examination of why, Christmas as ritual. Yeah, and yeah. why we believe the things that we do, mm. and yeah. how you kind of I guess perpetuate those myths and those stories, mm. and why. Mm. Yeah, um, and, and how important they are. Yeah, and it's just it's just a lot of fun. It is. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think it's there's a lot of there's a lot of joy still in this adaptation as yeah, well. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. Um the only other problem I think I had with elements of it is particularly with oh, who was the villain? The uh, curly head guy? Mr. Tia Time. Yes, Mr. Tia Time. Mm. I found his characterization and I and I think I mentioned this when we spoke last time. Mm. Um I found his characterization and there's certain moments of other people's characterization a bit too hammy a bit too like pantomimey or at the very least particular particularly with mr tia Time, he goes from being this really weird creep to then almost being a comic character in another scene mm, mm. and it's just it's a bit um off-putting mm. and like discombobulating do you think that's uh performance issue or a writing issue i think that's probably a combination of both okay 
Um, I think, and yeah, it's writing, whether it's acting writing. or whether it's directorial as well yeah, or whether it's, it's a bit it's of a bit, combination, it's hard yeah, to tell. it's a bit hard to tell. Because you can't push it too far, given no. that it's, you know, a kid's film. Like, yes. yeah, like if he was going full Heath Ledger's Joker, yeah, um, that wouldn't work. Which I would argue he did do in some sense. True, although this yeah. predates that. Yes. Um, but but the, you know, that idea of that sort of character, there's a difference mm. between what you can do with that in a MA15 film versus yeah. what yeah. is, you know, a made for... Mm. You know, he does he does straight up murder a guy in the first bit. He, he s- stabs a guy to death. Yeah. Um, stabs a bunch of people. Threat- no blood, though. It's one of those ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. threatens a lot of people. You know, is, is going to kill Susan in front of the children mm. that she's governessing. Yeah. Um, you know, tries to kill death. Like he's he's a, he's a bad man. Yeah. Um, but but I, I would agree. There's a there's a quirk to him which I think largely works, but occasionally yeah. it doesn't. It, it doesn't come, quite. I think it's not so much the quirk does like mm. when he's creepy, he's creepy. That works. Mm. It's when he's not as creepy and he's mm. those comic. It's mainly when he's interacting. I find with the burglars. Mm. Mm. Um, and yeah, that Tooth Fairy Castle was doing a lot. Doing a lot of heavy lifting, mm. I felt, and it was in those get scenes money's where out of that set. yeah, you definitely do. Um, as we said last time, it felt so much like a seventies fantasy or sci-fi film that I would have seen on the TV. Mm. Where yeah, it's like like old old same corridor twenty times. You're waiting yeah. for Tom Baker to it's, walk it's, around. It's set up like, in somebody's so carport. Yeah, like, not yeah. so much Tom Baker because Tom, like Doctor Who, for me, very much exists in my teenage years right. to university years. But something along the lines of like those made-for-TV films. Oh, there was one that was like it was kind of like Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea, and mm. some guys they leave the world and go to a place where there's like dinosaurs and that mm. that kind of vibe. Just the what journey to the center of the earth or something. Yeah, mine, mm. no, it wasn't that, but it but it was, it was that sort of that thing, sort of a vibe. like a sort of Professor Challenger type story. But because it was mm. made in the seventies, it just has this yeah. look of like this or is it was a made set. cheaply in yeah. the nineties. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, um, it, yeah it's it, actually oh, no. God. What it does feel like mm. is round the twist. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> because yeah. they would have been work, and that's a, I think that's a very similar concept in a way. Um, working, working off books. Um, of bo- uh, stories from Paul Jennings um, mm. working with a low budget yeah. um, and well at least in the Around the Twist case you know having to constantly do episodes well do numerous episodes rather than a TV mm. movie I think we probably need yeah. to explain for the people who are not Australian what yeah. Around the Twist is because we have we have listeners who listen all over the world um, Around the it's Twist amazing you need to watch it <laughs> yeah it's a very low budget children's series from the 1990s from Australia and as Katrina said, it's based on a series of books by a, an Australian children's author called Paul Jennings, who was well known for writing really weird, really kooky. weird, kooky, creepy kids stories. And it was all different characters for each one. But then when they made mm. the TV show, they did Round the Twist. Yeah. Um, it was like the same family yeah. all the time living the in a lighthouse. Yeah, the family live in a lighthouse, hence their round the twist because yeah. they they have to go round yeah. and round the lighthouse and, and 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 highlights of some of the episodes include somebody giving birth to like a cabbage baby there yeah. were the, these mushrooms that like mimicked people and things and then exploded the, the one that i thought about actually um, before we came and recorded this episode was the santa claus spelt k-l-a-w-s yeah and it gives them wishes yeah i remember the book for that oh or the one where the kids 
the kid Why do you have claws down if climbing up the chimney? Like, <laughs> or the one about the kid who makes up. ice cream out of his nose and he's a prisoner yep. in the, the ice cream van. There is also an episode where a kid gets a fish stuck in his penis and yes. it uses and it becomes as, a very as a propeller good and becomes a very good swimmer. Would, would Hogfather have been improved if Mr. Tia Teme had had a fish propeller penis? A fish propeller penis, maybe. I don't know. I think Mr. Tia Teme, the actor, <laughs> would potentially would have benefited from seeing some of the villains on Round the Twist mm. and and been able to, Mr. or Gribble, maybe the writers, his name is. been able to marry that creepiness with that silliness. Not so much Gribble, because Gribble was just straight up, you know, comedic character. He was also the bad guy in Lift Off. Yeah. That guy made such a career out of playing so bad good. guys in 90s children. Bad, not potato. No, different but, guy. Oh, I thought it was the same guy. Different. Oh, is it? I think it's the same guy. Might be. I might be. This. Might be Con the Fruiter as well. Actually, yeah, yeah you might be right. Yeah. Mm. So, so maybe a little bit more around the twist. Energy would have benefited, perhaps. Potentially. I mean, um, it does have a banger theme song. Yeah. Mm. Have you ever? Yeah. Ever felt like yeah. If this? you if, if if you're in Australia and you're around a, a, yeah. a millennial person and you just say, "Have you ever?" They will respond with, "Ever felt like this?" Yeah. Mm. That's just. It's just it generally. Generally. Mm. Go watch it. Go read the books. And the I books think, are great. I think in some ways, Paul Jennings' books. And Terry Pratchett's books. Whilst Paul Jennings isn't as quite law heavy and mm. the universe isn't quite as wide. It's because they're all short stories. Yeah, true. Really. Um, but that quirkiness and that kookiness the, and that weird. Yeah, is still there with also the underlying I want to give a message about how people should be better people mm. and the important things about life. And which sometimes is, it's just about a skeleton yeah. ghost on a toilet. Mm. Yeah. And that back dunny. Yeah. yeah. Like that's just. <laughs> Yeah. This was my childhood. And that really weird book series that he did with Morris Gleitzman where it was about these like worms that were sucking people's insides out. Oh, I haven't read that one. Oh, it was mm. terrifying. Let's talk about Death, the character yeah. um, from this book, the anthropomorphic personification yeah. of Death. Mm. Uh, one of the, one of, if not the key character in the whole Discworld series. Mm. Um, so I had a thought yes. about, just sorry. Just yeah, no, go ahead. You. I had a thought about Death. Yeah. And it got me thinking about, you know, all those Reddit like threads or Tumblr threads or whatever, where someone takes a villain out of a, a popular series, um, Voldemort, for example, and puts them in a situation which kind of forces them to be strangely sweet. Mm. Yeah. The example I'm thinking of, of somebody imagines, so the Chamber of Secrets, Ginny's sure. writing in the diary. Mm. Imagine if she starts talking about periods. Oh, yes. And whether or not, that. like, Tom Riddle would be like, oh, I have to educate this girl. <laughs> <laughs> and does this really strangely, weirdly sweet thing, even though they're a villain. Mm. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's very guru from Bis- Despicable Me, isn't yeah, it? And like I that feel... whole, well, do you mean nobody's given you proper education on this? Mm. I or feel Megamind like, from Megamind. Yeah. Well, yeah, or Megamind. I yeah. feel like the character of Death is kind of that idea, except he's not evil, really. Mm. Like, no. he's evil in the sense that we fear death. Yeah. Um, but he himself is not evil. He's like, well, I've got to do something. Yeah. yeah. It, it's really interesting because death is almost from the beginning not evil. Yeah. Um, like, in he the is, very. He in, is neutral. Yeah. He's the, very neutral. And in the very first Discworld book, it's the closest he gets to being quote unquote evil. Oh. And it's just because the protagonist, Rincewind, keeps almost dying. And oh, so yeah. death is sort of following him through the story. Yeah. And death is just sort of like. There's a bit where Rincewind's hanging from a tree with wolves mm. below and there's a snake in the tree and Death's like, you know, if you let go, it will be 
quicker for everyone concerned, <laughs> like that kind of thing. And he, because he, he just wants to do his job. Yeah. And at, at that point, Pratchett hadn't quite fleshed out what yeah. death could be. And then we get to Mort, which mm. was the parent, the the, 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 the parents of Susan's yeah. book. Um, and death becomes this quite fully fledged character that then mm. continues. And yeah, we see in this story, death is this really interesting character that they're, they're not human that they're, yeah. they're not a human being and yeah and they're not bound by they're fascinating and at this humans. point in, in in the series yeah. they've tried being human there, yeah. there was a whole book oh, really? where death retires oh. and that's the i don't think that's the first book with susan i can't remember wow. now but it, it, death death retires and goes to live on a farm mm. to try and be <laughs> yeah and to try and be human <laughs> which is goes ex- to the farm. which <laughs> is exactly which is exactly it's what... It's all right, I, Timmy. Death's just gone to a farm <laughs> far away. Yeah. Um, That's very funny. Exactly, yeah. Uh, no, because Susan, I think, turns up in the next death book, which is soul music. Yeah. And again, that that is a story about... Um, about there's basically the invention of rock music, and there is a Buddy yeah. Holly-type character who oh, is yeah. fated to die. Mm. Yeah. Um, and death is a major character in that book, and... Basically, I don't really want to give too much away, yeah. but death is both um, like protagonist mm. and a little bit antagonist in that. Yeah. Um, and then when you get to the Hogfather, it's 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 a really great sort of idea of yeah, what happens if if Santa Claus or the Hogfather in this case yeah. um, is not available? But mm. but death has this by this point developed this sort of caring nature for that, humanity and, yeah. and and that sense of. Well, you, like he says at the end, you know, you've got to believe the little things, yeah. the little mm. lies, in order to believe the big yeah. lies. He's not doing it because he he loves Hogswatch. He's not doing it because he loves humans. He's he's doing it because there needs it to has be to balance. Be done. Yeah, there, yeah. yeah. And the, the thing is, is he respects life, and we see that the auditors yeah. who are not quite anthropomorphic personifications because they're yeah. almost beyond. I would that. say they are lawful evil. Yeah, they 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 just believe in order, whereas mm. death also believes in order, but he believes in order with life yeah. as part of it. Whereas the auditors think, no, life should be gone. Auditors are Thanos. Mm. Yeah, mm. yeah. I don't know who death would be within the Marvel universe, but none of them, <laughs> no one that's actually gotten a movie. Yeah, fair yeah. enough. Um, but but yeah, this this whole image of. The Grim Reaper as yeah. Santa Claus that this film does. It's very fun. It's a lot it's of fun. It's so good. It's and, very funny. And, and that the, was why, the, I think I, and I think I said this last week as well, yeah. that's why I didn't want to spoil it when we were talking before the thing yeah. about like, you know, it's basically uh, Santa Claus is not available and somebody else takes on his job, but I'm yeah. not going to tell you who because it's going to just wreck it because it's just so funny. Mm. Yeah. And he's, and the, I think the um, issues that I have with Mr. Timothy. I are kind of also brought into relief when you look mm. at the death character. Mm. He's just a puppet. You get no facial expression, but you get so much emotion and there's so much... Um, mm. You understand his journey. You understand... Why he's doing what it is mm. Yeah, why he's doing. doing. And it, there's, he, there's just so much consistency in the fleshing of his character and mm. even the change. Well, I, I guess he doesn't really change that much. In the fact, well, other he, than he learns a bit about... He, he starts to change because he starts yeah. to become the Hogfather. Mm. The longer he's doing the job, the longer... Yeah, true. He's, and he he's, starts to learn Like he saves from... the little match girl. Yes. 
which mm. is something that the Hogfather couldn't have done because the Hogfather has no power over death. But Correct. because he's in both jobs. He's like, can do I it. can do this. Yeah, and you've got Albert. And he, I guess he does ignore mm. what he hit the main tenets of his job as death. Yeah, because they don't match up. Yeah. And so yeah. you have Albert going, oh, but Pasty, you can't do that kind mm. of thing. And he's, and he's like, going, I can, I'm the Hogfather. Yeah, and in, the, just death. and in the book, there's this thing that when death leaves his job mm. like when he goes to the farm or when he gets too involved Does someone take over someone has to yeah uh because he starts to lose his death traits and in this i think in the book susan starts speaking more like death because ah. she is the natural successor of course and mm-hmm. so that's an extra motivation for her to save the day because she has no interest in becoming the grim reaper and that's yeah. the whole thing that this comes down to is that idea of you if you've got this personification of whatever the thing is it has to exist because if it doesn't then natural balance of everything all falls out of whack. So yeah. you can't not have a death. You have to have a death. Because you can't everyone, not have it's a hog the belief father. thing. You yeah. have to have a hog father. Yeah, everyone mm. believes in death. Yeah. And so death would take some other appearance if it wasn't this current death. Yeah. yeah, and it's one of those things that comes up in a lot of media and a lot of things that look specifically at death as like a character. Because they did that in, I've done that in Supernatural as well. Mm. It's like, okay, you kill death, what happens next? Well, mm. the next uh, Reaper who dies then becomes death mm. or if you have death's ring you then become yeah death for mm. whatever yeah there's um a book that i i only read part of it um partly because it was owned the copy was owned by an ex and then mm. i broke up with them so i didn't get to finish it it's um, the worst when you're halfway through a book and you have to stop because really the relationship i'm so sorry <laughs> don't worry i got a good belt out of that relationship okay <laughs> I still have it. Kept the belt, not the book. <laughs> it was his book, to be fair. Um, and it's about this guy who dis- who discovers, like, whilst he's mourning his wife, mm. that he's actually death. But he's also a father. Like, he's got a child. Mm. Um, and he's also Jewish for some reason. Um, okay. Yeah. Like, and it's by this author. I think he's American or something. Um, because there's another series where this woman randomly discovers that she's a vampire, or she gets turned into a vampire, mm-hmm. um, and it just and it's a very got a very sort of Pratchett feel to to the universe and to the to the humor and stuff. Okay. And he's just like figuring out. He's like, okay, I'm still a father, but I have to do this thing, and I have to collect souls and do all this other stuff. Yeah. And yeah, and it's like yeah, we've explored that concept a lot. Mm. I think it's just because yeah. humans are just fascinated by the idea of death. And yeah, because that we have thing. no proper answer yeah. for no. what's on the other side. And well, I will say, which is why things like Dead Like Me mm. and Pushing mm. Daisies and whatever else even are the, all even things. the Sandman series. Yeah, yeah, death or turns like or that. like or like the Good Place, which I haven't really <sighs> watched a lot of, but I have a bit of a sense it. of yeah, mm. it's been recommended to us a bunch of times. To be honest, though, Good Place isn't actually about death. It's about it's, what's it's afterlife. About what's, no, it's not it? even that really. Okay. It's about what it is to be human and what consequent, how complicated it is to be mm. human and yeah. how it is. It's more about ethics than anything. Mm. Um, mm. The final episode is kind of about what what lies beyond, but not really. It's it's even then it's not. It, it's just that. It's just about that to give it an ending. Mm. Um, it is really about what, yeah, what is what it is to be a good person and how you be that mm. um, to everyone. 
and yeah i think one of the things that works really well with this adaptation as you mm. say it's a it's a big blank face it's, yeah. it's literally just a, a big puppet well a, a mask because yeah. there is there is an actor under there yeah. um in fact that actor's name because i made sure to write it down um because he gets forgotten yeah. is manix van den Broeke, who um oh, manix did an amazing job just keeping yeah. everything just the very little head tilt and mm. yeah and then and the mouth so much expression there's no yeah. mandible moving the eyes no. don't really do anything yeah but, but a, yeah at, with the exception of the wink yeah the wink yeah, he winks it. yeah the, well, a light goes on and off yeah it's very very nicely done but like the, the way the hands work because they are yeah. it's not a glove it's a, it's a puppeted mm, bone hand very cool. and it grabs yeah. those hourglasses very well and then you obviously have the voice work of ian richardson mm. um who is very good is a very good death there's we, we've been blessed to have a number of very good actors play yeah. death christopher lee mm. uh, did various adaptations and I don't think they had to put an effect on his voice. I think he just spoke. Yeah. And they, like, he has that yes. he has a very sonorous sort of... No, He's just yeah. made... He was just made for fantasy and sci-fi. He was. He, and, and, yeah. yeah. He was. And they did put an effect on his voice. I'm joking. Uh, but, <laughs> he, but yes, he, he does that. Um, <clears throat> and uh, currently, Peter Serafinowicz is sort mm. of the current voice of death for the audiobooks that were yeah. released and for the Amazing Morris film. And I think if we see any more adaptations of Discworld work it'll be interesting to see whether or not Peter Serafinowicz is still death because you know it would be amazing very as good. a death if they wanted to go a different direction mm. Gwendolyn Christie how good would she be mm. yeah that's a good point she could she, amazing she could definitely do She's... like the, the sonorous sort yeah. of oh dear and the thing is I think she is much more versatile than um Hollywood or or expectations of someone who is her height and mm. her build is, is she's even, great yeah, yeah. and she's yeah. done some really really good stuff yeah. and also like like i mean death is traditionally in the books gendered male yeah but i don't think there would be any particular problem if it was the right oh. voice actor for oh, it to be actually you know who mm. would do it yeah. tilda mm. swinton yeah the androgynous monarch of the world. Well, I mean, Gwendolyn Christie's doing a bit of that as well. Yeah. You know, mm. having played Lucifer in Sandman. I, th- and I almost yeah. feel like Tilda, she could do it 100%. Yeah. She's an amazing actor. But I just almost feel like she'd almost be too dry. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm, it, it, it's a funny thing because there have been voices yeah. of death that have gotten it wrong. Case in point, the Watch series. But that was just a very different interpretation yeah. where they went for more of a, oh, New Orleans-y kind of oh, okay. vibe and it didn't work. Um, no, I think Tilda Swinton, she can do comedy. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, mean, yeah, burn after reading. Yeah. Mm. Was she in that? Was yeah, she, she was the yeah. wife. No, she's, she's, Frances McDormand. Is it Frances No, no, no. no, yeah, no. Frances the... McDormand is in it, but Tilda Swinton is, is the, the wife, wife of George Clooney, isn't she? No, no, not of not George, George Clooney. Clooney. Um, um, she just spends a lot of the time swearing. Yes. In it. She, of, no, of John Malkovich. She's oh, married to John Malkovich. Yes. God, that's right. Yes. She's yes, having yes, the yes. affair with George Clooney. That's right. There we go. And then she's like, you're going to divorce your wife, aren't you? Well, good. Because <laughs> it's terrifying. Oh, I forgot all about her yeah. in that. Yeah. You know, yeah. You know what? Yeah, fair point. She could do it. Yeah. Um, but but I think that performance that we had in this with, with the voice of Ian Richardson and also how the rest mm. of the cast respond to him. Yeah. Uh, obviously, David Jason does a lot of that heavy lifting yeah. as as Albert. Well, being, and being in the most scenes. Yeah, being in the most so. scenes. Yeah. Um, but they're beautifully pitched mm. like I, I think character wise everyone really got it and it does help that half the cast were massive Discworld fans yes David Jason would return to do Rincewind because he mm. loves um he, he loves Discworld uh yeah. same with Tony Robinson uh who was the toy mm. shop owner um 
and I'm and uh, that me- Michael Caine because mm. I feel like this would also be a Michael Caine kind of film. Mm. Yeah, you could see him in there yeah. potentially. N- Neil from the Young Ones as well. Yeah, uh, N- Nigel Planer. Um, so, I'm just. <laughs> Michael Caine was, was probably too famous by this point. When, mm. when did this come out? 2006. So he was like. Oh yeah, Batman, he playing, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Too, he was busy. Famous, he was busy yeah. playing a different Alfred. Also, it, yeah. but also he might. To to be fair, he might not be a Discworld fan. He might mm. just not be interested. I just say that because he did the Muppets so well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I was like, that kind it's of Muppets Christmas Carol. That kind of well. um, perspective yeah. and effort, I think, would also go quite well into this. Yeah, mm. um, yeah. but but all of the actors do a really good job yeah. of responding to. A, a scene partner who is not going to do traditional responses. Yes. You're not going to get you know any face from mm. from death, unfortunately. Um, but but it works really well. I think it's I think it's shot quite well yeah. as well. Mm. I do think the, the I think the, the, the editing's a bit choppy. Well, I think yes. it's the pacing of the editing and the pacing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then occasionally, like you can see where they've like used like cheat shots mm. to try and fake specific things. Mm. Yeah. Or like long, long fade outs. Like a scene has finished, but yeah. we have another five to ten seconds of the scene of like the character leaving the room. Yeah. Particularly in that first half, just to make sure we get up to the hour to and that a half. 90 mark. Minutes, yeah. yeah. That they need to. But uh, that's probably that I feel like is more of a decision from up on high. Yes. Basically, yeah. that, that that's an edit, that's an editing decision. We need this couple of extra seconds. Yes. Because yeah. then it needs to lead into an ad break. Yeah. Those sorts of yeah. things. So yeah, it's it's. I feel kind of mean being critical of made-for-TV movies when they mm. have stipulations that cinematic releases don't necessarily get constricted by. I think it's fine to be yeah. critical of it, but mm. also... It's just part and parcel of the yeah. form. Like, I'm thinking yeah. about other... And also acknowledging that. Mm. Yeah, and I think, like, you know, looking at other sort of, like, two-parter adaptations of things, like, for instance, there was a, a, a series done on... Um, sci-fi in the united states which was an adaptation of alice in wonderland and that was a similar sort of time period like 2000s and that's a really fun adaptation because it's like a really quite dark adult Mm. but like still pg rated alice in wonderland adaptation Mm. and it's she's like a judo instructor or something (laughs) in like and she's an adult she's it's a grown woman and she gets kind of pulled into wonderland kind of like accidentally Mm. Um, it's yeah, really unsettling. You'd yeah. probably like it actually. Yeah, it sounds like if I can find it because I'm like, that's interesting that they've made her a judo instructor because judo is what it, the early feminists taught. It's, it's judo or it's like it's it's no, one of the yeah. martial arts. I can't remember exactly there, what it was. But it's there's been a, a reason. But why. it's funny though because the actress can't run. She <laughs> runs so weirdly. <laughs> she like throws one of her arms out when she runs, and <laughs> it's just hilarious. But yeah. are you saying you're more forgiving of it because yeah, it because, is a TV movie? Yeah. So <laughs> like some of the editing in that, like the way that they do it, because that's ve- you can tell yeah. exactly where all the ad breaks are in that one. Yeah. Because mm. it's like it's that moment of like and dun 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 dun. Like this is the sort of yeah. like mini cliffhanger moment, and then when you come back, you have that establishing shot to show we were just here, yeah. and then you go on with the it's scene. It's like Firefly. You see that a lot in Firefly. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think anyone who doesn't go into a film going, going, okay, this was made in this decade yep. for this purpose in this market. That's mm. why it's like the way it is. Mm. Cause otherwise you're just going to sit, particularly nowadays when TV shows are so, there's so much money poured into those big TV shows. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Before we move on from mm. the cast, uh, we should give a shout out to Michelle Dockery. Yes. Uh, playing um, 
Susan. Yeah, uh, great. Yeah, this she's is pre her big breakout in um, Downton Abbey. Downton Abbey. Um, mm. Yeah, and she's she's great. Yeah, you could kind of see in a way um, someone like looking at the casting for Downton Abbey, going, "Hmm, she plays cold very well." Oh. <laughs> um, yeah. Although the the again, she has one scene, which is an example of like this. Just feels that you haven't laid the groundwork for your character to do this. Mm. Which is when she's crying over the hog father. It just made me go, mm, that's cringy. Yeah, I, I, I had a similar um, issue. I think, I think it was an editing thing there as well because it yeah. just felt like it was very rushed. I, I, yeah. I, I had a similar issue, and we discussed this last time in yeah. the, the, the take that time forgot, um, where when she kisses the children goodbye as the yeah. governess. She she cares for those children. Mm. She clearly thinks that you know they're, they're good children in, in the book. Yeah. But... There's not that. She's closeness. not a kissy, kissy, huggy yeah. kind of yeah. person. She and I, I get like that. why you would do that for a visual adaptation, just so that it, you mm. you can show. Oh, look, there's a connection. Maybe just to yeah. go. She's not completely cold because yeah. a lot of her behavior is quite austere. You could literally point, she's just telling the kids off. Yeah, yeah. But, I, I think yeah. we sort of said it was an acting choice, a directorial choice. Mm. And but that's the thing. She didn't need to give them a little kiss on the head she could have literally just tucked them in mm. very gently and tenderly yeah. and that would have given the same thing and been i think more in character yeah, yeah. but but again but it's... i mean that's a I mean that's a nitpick of like yeah. one scene yeah it's, yeah it's very small biscuits compared to the overall performance which yeah. is really good yes and mm. um you know considering it's it's a big wacky story mm. and there's lots of big wacky characters she's and, very grounded and she isn't yes. yeah she's very very grounded she's sort of the straight man e- character even more so than that. she is than... i would say a feminist icon yeah I yeah there's a there's a lot of them in pratchett's yeah. world though yeah, yeah even more so than in other screen adaptations like the going postal adaptation mm. which yes. um you made the point of in the recording that time forgot uh that yeah, yeah. um <laughs> that claire foy yeah. plays a very well a yeah. similar character mm. uh, basically but, like quirky goth girl yeah but in going postal um claire foy's character isn't the protagonist no K- key key major character but not the protagonist yeah um and also a character with um different emotional baggage Is and so yes yeah. wife i guess <laughs> <laughs> no she wasn't she um wasn't. no she was a um she, she was uh, fairly well to do from the from um not not like posh but just like yeah. you know that sort of southern england doing okay for themselves yeah kind of, yeah she's... i wonder if maybe she had just that undercurrent i i I just think Terry liked writing gothic yeah. lady characters. I mean, also, he was writing in the 80s and the 90s. Yes, yeah. true. Yeah, so Goth like, was like a big subculture. Yeah. Like, steampunk was starting to come in. Mm. Yeah, Westwood was having her influence. Yeah, yeah like, Westwood, there's a yes. lot of... Yeah. There, there was a lot of... Uh, mm. the, I mean, there are a lot of, like, tough and independent lady characters yeah. in Discworld. Mm. But they do come in quite a variety. You look at, like, Sergeant Angua from The Watch, for example, mm. who... Um, has a very particular condition. I'll just leave it at that for those okay. that don't. Oh, okay, yeah. But, um, like her whole story and why she is that way is very interesting. But mm. you compare that to someone like Cheery Littlebottom, who is also in The Watch mm. um, and is is a very different uh, female lead because of the cultural yeah. context of, of females and dwarven culture in this yeah. world. There is, there is quite a bit of variety. And like in later books, Polly Perkins, I would mm. say, is in no way like like a tough goth kind of pr- prototype, uh, but she's a brilliant protagonist yeah. um, mm. who still is you know tough and independent without those sort of 
fantasy trappings of the yeah. time of the 80s and 90s and then you've got all your witch characters a lot of whom mm. are that kind of older female yeah granny weatherworks and terrifying grandmother yeah. sort of yeah yeah archetype which is, which is i love it i love when fantasy actually contains multitudes um yeah because as much as i love you know tolkien and mm. um david eddings i yeah. think is an example yeah, yeah. um and you know, even even more recent ones like uh, Sarah Douglas. Mm. As much as I love those, they the female protagonists are cut from the same cloth, mm. and sometimes that cloth isn't very good. Yeah, sometimes that cloth works against us. It's a bit flimsy and see through. Some and of the yeah. stuff that like I know that I, I haven't read a lot of like the stuff um, mm. like all the Squire and whatever else is that Emily Rodder. Who did that? Yes, Emily Rodder. Yeah, Emily yeah. Rodder does some really good or, stuff. Or wait, or do you mean... Uh, oh, what's the one I'm thinking what's of? What's her name? I do, I do T- know Tamora Pierce. Yes. Tamora yeah, Pierce does Pierce. a lot of um, female characters who are yeah. really yeah, well-drawn and stuff. Yeah. Mm. Emily Rodder, I mostly read um, Rowan of Rin, which yeah, is a, a male protagonist. Emily Rodder. Was something mm. about, she had some good stuff, I think. Something but. about the book covers that just left mm. a weird taste in my mouth. Not to say that I eat that. <laughs> the world building in Rowan of Rin is no, quite fun. But there is, and and this may be, I don't know, maybe this will be example 5092 of why I might be neurospicy. Mm. Um, of there are certain things like movies, TV shows, books, that kind of stuff, or even clothing. Mm. Um, that I look at and I literally just go, it literally leaves a bad taste in my mouth. And, and with fantasy books, there there are certain with covers. that cover, with that the what, Emily Rudder cover, just something about it. I can literally picture myself going into my primary school library and looking at it, and going, no. What was the cover? It's very fancy. That's mm. the thing, though. Mm. There's like one of the Delta Request ones yeah. or something like that, maybe. Yeah, and they're like very colourful. Delta Request. Yeah, it had like um, the gems and the stuff around yeah. the edges. I know the one. And I get, same, I get the same yeah. feeling. No, it was literally just the look. But other example, slides. Mm-hmm. No, just can't do it. Oh, um, like actually, playground slides? No, no, as in slides footwear. Oh, right. Just looking at that makes me... Okay. Um, actually, that's the, main, that's the main one I can think of. That's okay. Yeah. But in short, Michelle Dockery was fine. Yes, yeah. in short, she was great. She was great. The whole time I was watching it, yeah, yeah, that. The Ellen, Ellen has just pulled up an image of them. And okay, I, I can see. They're very fancy. They are very fancy. They're too if busy. If that was a stained glass window, I'd be like, that's amazing. You know what? It, do, it does look like a stained yeah. glass window. So the Emily Rodder sort of yeah. artwork book covers. So we're looking at Del Toro Quest's yeah. book cover with a knight stretching out a hand. It's quite busy. Yeah. I think for us, the silence is one specifically. See, but yeah. the thing is, I would have read fantasy books that had just as busy a cover. Mm. Um, Maybe it was the yeah. font that put you I off. Know. Don't I? Two points. No, I am not that big of a thing. I, I'm not you, Ellen. I don't. I routinely get Font does not things. I got a, I got a, I got a, I got a, a video today from a friend. Uh, Wade yeah. sent me a, a thing this morning, which was a, a comedian talking about Comic Sans and how much it sucked. And I was like, <laughs> you know me so well. At, at risk of this, yeah. Um, segue becoming a segue into yet another segue mm. i'm going to suggest that we score uh, film? because this is technically our, MDB trivia well this or? is technically our third hour of reviewing this i think at this point <laughs> uh, even though for the listener it is a mercifully shorter <laughs> trip um would you like some trivia from imdb yeah. let's do it okay do it. all of this trivia comes from imdb so if it's not true don't blame me 
Author Terry Pratchett has a cameo in this. He's the toy maker. Yeah, and he gets yeah. the little scene at the end where he speaks Thank to you. death. Um, as, as in all of the Sky adaptations, he's in there, usually at the end, just saying a little ooh, a couple of lines and then it's like, okay, that's that's Terry done there. Because yeah. <laughs> he's many things, but was never an actor. Yeah. Um, but, but he's wonderful. He filmed his cameo and then he was stopped by customs at an airport in Australia, <laughs> where we are. Um, he had a large box of plastic teeth from the set, which distressed the officials. He explained the situation and pointed out that they should probably be more concerned with the other large box he had that was just marked death. I mean, it just feels a bit too on the nose to be concerned. Like, you you get something like a box saying, do not open, this contains um, something bad. You go, oh yeah, whatever. So what you're saying is... Well, I'm saying the obvious, the thing that mm. is noted mm. is, is not necessarily what you should be concerned about. It's the thing that you're like, why? So... Mindset wise, that's very similar to the wizards in this with the bathroom, where it's mm. like, uh, but but it had so many signs saying "Do not enter." Well, of course, we better see what's inside, like yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, we do have very strict like biosecurity laws. Yeah, I'm so pretty I can sure. See why they were like, "Why do you have so many teeth? Are you a yeah. serial killer? Like, what is going on?" Or even on? just are these real teeth? Because if so, they're a biohazard mm. or whatever. Yeah. Well, like, where are these teeth from? Not, are they native teeth? You're like... not allowed to um, carry body parts. Yeah. Like. So yeah, so a big bag of fake teeth. You know what it says? Uh, border security may be doing their job uh, a little bit. Saving us from all of those teeth trying to invade the country. Yes. Nigel Planner, who played Mr. Sidney, um, did the audiobook narration for 21 of the first 23 Discworld novels, mm-hmm. as well as multiple voices in all three of the Discworld video games. Yeah. Um, Tony Robinson also did uh, some of the voiceover work as well. Although I don't know if he did any of the video games, but he did do mm. some audiobooks. Yeah, it's interesting that, as we said, as we spoke about last week, it's interesting that there are video games because I think the yeah. style of Terry Pratchett and the the complexity of it would yeah. suit a video game a lot, but you were saying there it's, it is a bit hit and miss. So, so th- what they are is they were point-and-click video games, mm. and they were actually good. Like, yeah. those video games are good. Um, but... The licensing of Discworld properties, when, yeah. certainly when Terry was alive, yeah. was v- very interesting because he had full control over it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, here is my second attempt at talking about the history of licensing Discworld uh, products, but this time, Woo! hopefully, uh, the audience can hear it. Mm. So, Terry had obviously full copyright over his mm. things, and numerous people wanted to make various things out of the Discworld. Um, but he had to approve them all. Mm. So that's why so many of the Discworld sort of figurines or merchandise that you can get are from small local businesses in the south of England because he would go and meet them and go, yeah, I really like your work. You can make these things. So sweet. Yeah, the Discworld Emporium shop, which uh, is now an online store only, unfortunately, but was a beautiful, um, like, proper shop for a good 20 years. Um, They they basically gathered all of the Mm. officially... Uh, approved merchandise and terry would go and visit them and like yeah. it, it was it was very connected with with that sort of business it's very and... provincial it's almost like mm. like oh i'm just gonna pop down to the local parish and have a chat to this person when, when you read feels like more that. of his his books you get a real sense that he was practicing what he preached in the sense mm. of he had a real love and respect for um craftsmen doing their jobs well and so sort of the mass production of stuff was not something he was necessarily thrilled with because of the loss of quality and that was the thing is is he didn't Mm. want anything that he'd made being associated with being a dodgy product yeah um it was the same reason why he really struggled with big money book advances Mm. even though he was 
well and truly making enough making the publishers enough money for them yeah. to give him six-figure sums for the books. pressure of it yeah he didn't want to have that um there's a story neil gaiman tells where mm-hmm. good omens was being optioned and they were getting news of the bids and they were expecting i think some figure maybe would have been like twenty thousand pounds yeah. each was what they were expecting and it got well beyond that and um terry was calling neil in a panic saying we have to stop them we can't make them spend this much money on the book it might not be that good basically that's an amazing example Mm. of imposter syndrome and humility yeah Mm. it never even for someone who's made it yeah and in fact not clearly made it um But it still it still affects them. Yeah, not not even that it might not be that good, just that he couldn't justify that much money being spent on on the work that was done. Wow. Um, and so the video games, many people tried to make Discworld video games, um, and the ones that he approved, he was very sort of like, yep, because they're going to do it in this way, and I think that's great. Yeah. Um, there were a few that he didn't approve, and one studio that tried to get one made. I say studio; it was an independent production of like a couple of people in That's the nineties. Studio. Yeah. Um, they ended up creating their own point-and-click wow. humorous fantasy uh, video game. That's the Simon the Sorcerer series. <laughs> and so, for any of you who grew up in England in the nineties and had access to a PC like I did. Um, you may remember uh, Chris Barry's, um, who did the voice um, of Simon, the the excellent and humorous uh, world of Simon the Sorcerer is essentially Discworld fanfic, to to put it another way. It's or so good. that was the the inspiration point for it. Which is it is, good? Again, okay. it's very funny. Oh, that's good. Um, it's it, it's it probably shaped my sense of humor um, See, in, in a lot of ways. I when I was growing up, I played Sam and Max yeah. video games. Is it that kind of similar style when you talk about point and click? Similar me- mechanics, very yeah. different art style, yeah, yeah. But, but similar mechanics, yeah. yeah. Um, Simon the Sorcerer is probably a little bit more mm. clunky. I think Sam and Max was very, very good. Very, well, very that was like out of EA Arts or yeah. something. So um, yeah. big Simon studio. the Sorcerer, mm. teensy bit clun- clun- clunkier, yeah. but still tremendous fun that oh, 90s cool. point and click game so yeah yeah a lot of them were very clunky and yeah but, but a lot of them had really good writing you look at like uh, return to monkey island mm. really mm. funny still commonly cited as one of the funniest games ever made uh, day of the tentacle uh grim fandango <sighs> like the, the, so the it's, it's glad you can get day of the tentacle on mm. xbox game pass i know it's great yeah. um but like yeah it's from that era of games uh, and and they suited something like a disc world mm. um whereas i don't know that a disc world mmo shooter <laughs> or something would I necessarily could imagine work someone doing like a vr kind of disc like a world. skyrim yeah. type yeah funny, wander around the disc funny you should say that not connected to this trivia but just yeah. additional pratchett trivia um he loved the the elder scrolls games specifically oh. skyrim's predecessor oblivion yeah he actually um created a character Based around... Based, based... Like, he just wrote a companion character that was modded, that, that someone created as a mod. Oh, that's so cute. And then, yeah, that character was a mod that you could download, and he wrote a lot of the dialogue lines mm. for it. And then I believe there was another... Oh, no, sorry, I'm getting I'm getting it backwards. Um, somebody had created a modded character oh, yeah. that you could get as a companion. Mm. And Terry liked this character, but wanted to give additional dialogue to it, so contacted the person who made the mod and said, I've had some thoughts about how this character yeah. should behave. And this person's like, Terry Patrick wants to write my, oh my God, like, <laughs> wants to write this character. So he worked with this person and would continue to update and write lines for this character for Amazing. several years. 
So the mod is, yeah, this is a character that he basically wrote that you can download and play for the game. And I believe there is a version of that character for Skyrim as well, mm. um, which he would have I'm, played a little bit of, but by that time was when he was quite ill. I'm getting so. a bit concerned, yeah. Stephen. Yeah. The more you talk to me about Terry Pratchett, the more mm. I'm like, oh, he sounds like such an amazing person. Mm. Um, and I'm just, because of how the world is, I'm just waiting for like the... the shoe to drop. Villain, yeah, for the other shoe to drop mm. and for the villain story that is Terry Pratchett to come out. Um, don't I, don't it, confirm or deny. Look, I'm just like, I'm very concerned. It, look, I, I'm, you, you can't say it for absolute certainty. Yeah. But I think we might be okay. Oh. He's not a he's not a David Eddings. He's not a J.K. Rowling. He's not got some. He's skeleton. not a Joss Whedon. Uh, not no, not to our knowledge. Yeah. Uh, the people who are alive that still know him or knew him from that yeah. time are all like he was dead lovely and we miss him. Yeah. He had a temper. Um, he, I mean, he was he a very was human, he was so. a very very grumpy man. He could be mm. quite rude to people um, when when they cast Sean Astin in yeah, um, in Color of Magic. At the read-through, he said to Sean Astin, I don't think you should have been hired. And like in his biography Rob, that, that Rob Wilkins wrote, he does write about times where he's just like very blunt. grumpy and blunt. Yeah. Um, and like there was a play of one of his non-Discworld books, Nation, they put mm. on a production of it. And one of the cast members that was interviewed for the biography said, yeah, yeah he watched the preview and he hated it <laughs> because he said we hadn't got it. We hadn't got what it was about. And he mm. just told the cast and the production crew because they were all like oh my god he came and saw it and they're on the stage afterwards and he just stood there for about 15 minutes telling them how they'd messed it up <laughs> that's rough yeah so like yeah. he could be rude um yeah. but i don't think he did anything criminal for example um you know or he mm. certainly but i think it sort of comes from like yeah. i you know this is this is this is mine and my world and i know what my thoughts are and like i know what i was thinking when i was writing this mm. yeah so yeah which I think just at least the example you, uh, you used there maybe just shows that whilst he was clearly very proficient in storytelling, not necessarily in all methods of storytelling. Oh, like yeah, games, absolutely. Games and movies, I think, very work, work very differently and kind of work more in line with books in some senses mm. than theatre does. Mm. Um, so I had a really interesting conversation with uh, John Marson, another Australian mm. author, a couple of years ago because he came over here to promote one of his latest books. He was doing like the, yeah. the, the Writers' Festival um, at UWA and I went in and had a chat to him while he was signing my copy of Checkers because that's my favourite mm. book ever. Mm. Um, and he said to me, oh, this is my, my favourite one that I've Aww. ever done. And I went, it's my favourite too. And I said, it would make a great play and he went nothing really happens and I went yeah that's why it would make a great play and he was like well I defer to your expert opinion because I was telling him about, yeah. about my PhD and stuff but he said you know when they changed when they when they took the picture book that I did with Sean Tan the rabbits yeah and said oh we want to turn it into an opera yeah he was like oh well you know I suppose if you want to go for it like I don't yeah. know and then he said and then I went and saw it and I was just blown away but just no concept of yeah adaptation He's a he's a writer. Yeah, and he's a writer, and he writes, and that's and what he does. Something that and goes I feel like well, something that goes well on stage doesn't necessarily go well on film. Correct, and vice versa. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, yeah. So that's, it can, that's but it really depends yes. on the thing. But yeah, I think sometimes with authors, especially if they just write mm. and that's yeah. all they do, they find it really hard to sort of see mm. their work in different mm. mediums. Yeah. yeah, and and yeah, I mean, 
Terry was very particular about his stuff. He, he yeah. had an appreciation of other mediums mm. just from reading Discworld books like Moving Pictures, yeah. where they invent film. Mm. Uh, or uh, Masquerade, which is the witches go to watch Phantom of the Opera. Uh, but Phantom of the Opera is happening in, in the real world, basically. Oh, yeah. um, like, he... he when he did his research, yeah. he, he knew a lot of things. He did his research. Apparently, his, his daughter tells a story of, like, they got taken to see Phantom of the Opera six times <laughs> just so that he could fully immerse himself in the story. Yeah. Incredible. And, and, and being in the theatre. Mm. Because it's it's his version of doing the musical, yeah. a, a Discworld musical story, um, where <laughs> the witches are investigating strange murders that are happening yeah. in this theatre. Um, yeah, it's great. Um but like so, he he. he That's the understood. book you should recommend to me, Steve. Yeah, you know what? Yeah, Masquerade would be. That a good is the one. one you should recommend yeah. to me. Yeah. Weird, yeah. Weird if it's Sisters fa- and Masquerade. If if, if if it's literally Phantom of the Opera. Yeah. Theater witches. I think yes. to be fair, last time when we were discussing this, you did suggest Weird Sisters at the very yeah, least. Yeah, Weird. So. Yeah, Weird Sisters. Okay, yeah, it's it's. Mm. They're all good. That's they're the all, point. They're which, all good. Which stories, but specifically yeah. Weird Sisters. Yeah. And Even Masquerade. the Color of Magic, which we know people. Don't say, say, don't read that first. It's still got great moments in it. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, yeah. It, it, but yeah, he, he, he had an appreciation yeah. of what these things were and he knew about them. But I think in terms of the realities of turning mm. something that had been a book into yeah. something else, I think he had thoughts about how that should be done and they didn't necessarily align with the reality yeah. of Adaptation's how adaptation hard. works. Yeah. Yeah. Because Sean Astin is one of the best things in Color of Magic. He's, he's really great. good. Oh, really? He's, I, really, I, yeah. he's really good at he, it. I he really he like and um, David Jason have a really great working relationship. Oh. They have a really good, yeah. Yeah. Um, nice, nice chemistry, nice rapport. Mm. He's not, again, if you'd asked me before they made the adaptation, I probably wouldn't have picked him either. Yeah. Um, but, but he does a really good job. Mm. He was also fresh off Lord of the Rings and... It was, yeah, it was about five years after Return of like, the King. Yeah. So. Just one thing I would recommend, don't read his book, There and Back Again, A Hobbit's Tale. Oh, yeah. Mm. I lost a lot of respect for Sean Astin after reading that book. Oh, yeah? Yeah, yeah. He just comes off as a whiny little bitch, in my opinion. He's safety yeah. Sam. He, he's, he's just... Safety Sean, yeah. Yeah, he's, mm. he's in charge of being safe and... No, he's just... Just a whiny little bitch. Well... Like, like I came across. I mean, the one the, the one time I met him working yeah. at Supernova, um, he was dead nice. Oh, I'm but, sure I'm sure he is. I'm, I'm yeah. sure if I wrote a book about myself... <laughs> Um, there would be people who would read this and be like, oh, this chick needs to get a grip on life. It's a shame that was, it's a shame that's the review on the blurb though. (laughs) (laughs) This chick needs to get a grip of herself. Stephen Platt. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Um, it's time to score the film. Yes. And now we have already done this. Yeah, I remember. I, remember I can't actually was. remember what I scored. Well, let's, I, remem- the, I remember what it was. You remember what yours was? Okay. Yeah, well, yeah. we'll start with Katrina though, because yeah. I'm curious if you would give it the same score because I did write them down. Oh. Um, um, what what score would you give the Hogfather out of ten today? I think because in the time I've actually, and particularly even just having this conversation, um, which just shows how easily influenced I am <laughs> uh, on the one to one basis. Mm. Um, I. Th- because I think I gave it seven and a half last time. You did. Ooh. Well remembered. I think I want to give it eight and a half. Oh, okay. Because it makes me want to go and read Pratchett. Okay. Um, An advertisement for the books. Mm. Yeah. And and I like, we, we haven't so much discussed as much as we did last time about how it just talks about some of the base emotions and things of life 
about the little lies that we teach ourselves and how it makes life easier makes it more bearable makes and, it more bearable able to learn the big lies yeah as the and story says yeah and in some justice all those sorts of things yeah and empathy and things like that and it mm. just makes me think of if i do eventually procreate or have some sort of small child in my care mm-hmm. that i have to teach about christmas or or the lack thereof mm. how pratchett would be a good basis to teach them the same things without the trappings of religion Mm. which for some people is great uh for some like religion is great Mm. and for others it's it's a really conflicted space yeah and And but i do acknowledge that religion has this advantage of it gives us ritual it gives us purpose and meaning yes yeah when it is pure when it is doing what it's supposed to do it brings us together and reminds us of our humanity Hmm. and the humanity of others um and yeah so i don't i I think that's why i've given it a bit of a higher score okay so yeah eight and a half uh what what eight and a half black streaks in the hair that look really would look really awesome as a wig yes uh okay alan you did remember your score uh what are you giving it um i'm gonna yeah Give it, I think, I think six Death of Rats out of ten again. Yeah, mm. Death of Rats, very underused in this, which I understand because it's CG. <gasps> so cute. It's 2006. So cute, Love he, Death of Rats. He and uh, Quoth the Raven mm. um, are much bigger characters because Susan's by herself for a lot of the stories. Yeah. So they're there to be like, ah, here's a plot point. Or, <laughs> ah, here's someone to talk to. Yeah, yeah. basically. Or like, yeah, because the Death of Rats just goes squeak. Mm. It doesn't actually speak. It just says squeak. Mm. Um, yeah, so Quoth is usually there going, well, as you remember... In the land of death, plot point, plot point, plot point. Like, you know, just those yeah. little things that met, were in other books. Yeah. That Exposition. Were... Hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, Death of Rats is great. Yeah. Everyone loves They're the Death so of Rats. Yeah. E- except for rats, maybe. I kind of want to do like a little embroidery or like a little plushie of him. Mm. There are plushies, I think. Did, did Danielle make a crochet of him? She's made crochets of mm. lots of them. Yeah, I'm pretty sure she's, she's, yeah, done, she's a probably de- done a Death of Rats. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yes. Uh, for me, uh, the score that I had originally, and that I'll still stick with, is six and a half out of ten. Because I'm trying to be fair yeah. and basically go, I, I, I really like The Hogfather as a story. Mm. I think this is a good adaptation. But I do also acknowledge that it isn't a brilliant piece of filmmaking yeah. uh, or television. But it's it doesn't have to be. Mm. It's it's a the week before Christmas... You sit down and you watch something. You could watch this over a couple of nights with the yeah. family and it's perfect for that. Uh, it raises some good questions. There's some great performances, some great jokes. Um, I, I Still family friendly. Yeah, I, I still love that whole sequence of when he gives the child an actual sword in the grotto. <laughs> and it's like... It's the but, best scene in the whole thing. Yeah, with that the whole... That will be an important lesson. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just, just, just that whole sequence of... Um, but it's dangerous. Then she'll learn how to use it. But what if she cuts off her finger? Then it's an important lesson. Like whatever the wording of that, it's just brilliant. wonderful. Uh, but then, likewise, you also have the lines like where the rising ape meets the falling angel when yeah. he's talking about the human condition, and it's like, God damn, that's a great line. God damn, Terry. Yeah. yeah, and like he throws them out, it. and yeah, just that that sequence, and particularly it's like, in the ha 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 funny fantasy think, novel, and then that just, I think is what people don't understand about the value of fantasy by putting it into this extraordinary place we find those moments of humanity and of where 
correct of where we need to improve mm. and where we need to it's 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 holding yeah. a mirror up to society yeah mm. and much and all is a lot of them are like oh no but like it's not really about the real world it's like it, it is though oh yeah. i mean it with, is. with Discworld, yeah. it 100 percent is yeah. oh with the disc yeah definitely yeah. Yeah. yeah and that's i think that definitely that idea cuts the wheat from the chaff yeah um because you read your david eddings for example yeah and i don't think he has that no it, it's perfectly yeah. fine fantasy yeah but like the best it, fantasy it, yeah. and the best science fiction hmm. has something to say about yeah. the real world. That's why we still talk yeah. about Asimov. That's why we still talk yes. about Tolkien yeah. Tol- yes. and Pratchett. Tolkien's I mean, a great example. Tolkien was like, no, I wasn't writing allegorically. But also, death of the author. Screw you, Tolkien. If I want to read your books through the lens of it's he, an allegory for the First World War, I'm going to do that. He, yeah. he may not have been writing it as an allegory for the First World War, but no, his experiences... Definitely shaped. ...did shape how he wrote about it. How he it. wrote it, and, sure. and And his values on, like... The, the 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 fellowship that is yeah. you know male bonding like the fact that those stories are so male focused is yeah. understandable from his experience yeah and what In he built world. up yeah um and i think that's that does reflect the fact that yeah he was a soldier and he went through this In world War One. massively horrible experience yeah. um that will have an effect even if you're saying i'm just writing a fun story for my language to exist in i always thought as well um that there is a allegory for he's very anti-industrialization. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, massively. Yeah. Really, really big on the eco-environmentalism yeah. yeah. stuff. Yeah. And, you know, the death of, you know... The death of the... the rural the, and the pastoral yeah. and but all that I, but, kind yeah. of thing. But, in the big England. cities and... But that, yeah. isn't, but that isn't what makes the, that story good. And no. it's not mm-hmm. what makes the Discworld stories good. Because no. yeah. anyone can stand on a soapbox and go... Being poor sucks, but but I mean, having some I have done that indeed. Times. Uh, People yeah. get annoyed with me. But being yeah, um, they, they need the soap. <laughs> get off the box, <laughs> Katrina. Um, but but having the skill that somebody like a Pratchett did mm, to then yeah. turn it into um, the the Vimes world. boots theory of socioeconomics yeah. and yeah. just to explain those ideas in ways that make people go. Oh, oh, I get it that's now. Why. Mm. That's why. If you haven't read skill. Vimes boots theory, it's, I do know you, you because, know it. You know, yeah. because um, the internet. Yes, yeah. of course, of course. Yes, but the fact that it's become like a specific yeah. economic theory now mm. that is spoken about in mm. economic circles is just brilliant. Yeah. So that's why we love fantasy and sci-fi, and that's why we need steam, not just STEM. Correct. Yes. Mm. Get Correct. some arts in there, or as I'd like to rephrase it, meats. Meats. <laughs> <laughs> Get some meats in you. Get some meats. Vegetarians in might be a bit unhappy. Oh, about Ah, that's true. That's true. Okay, we'll keep with steam then. Steam, yeah. you want steamed vegetables for everyone? Yeah. Let's go with steam. You or, steam you know, meat. steam out of tea. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Steam. You love a tea. We do. Uh, but yes, uh, that brings us to the end of this second review oh, of boy. The Hogfather. It ended up being a two-parter, like yeah, the original. like the thing. Um, oh. Ellen and Katrina, thank you so much for joining me once again to no talk about worries. The Hogfather. Thanks. It was my pleasure. And for those of you listening at home, thank you for listening in. I don't know how the editing went on this one, but hopefully <laughs> it was good to listen to. Uh, but also, it, it it's Christmas. Just, it's a gift. All this extra yeah. bonus stuff. Yeah. Enjoy. Um, we do have a Patreon, patreon.com forward slash CCUC podcast for bonus goodies and features. Mostly Katrina uh, giving us um, fun facts for her mic test. Uh, they, they don't all make it in. I'm pretty sure... In the original edit of this, I don't have your your mic check in, but they do That's appear fair. in our bonus uh, extra podcast where we 
some of the bits we cut out from the program are put together in a little hodgepodge. Uh, you get one of them every few months uh, of just the offcuts, fun bonus conversations. Uh, that's Patreon only, though. So uh, give me a dollar a month and I will give you my offcuts. <laughs> it's... I feel like it's a fair trade i feel it's worth about a dollar so um yes uh go there we also have facebook uh search for us at um facebook.com uh just search for the cinema catch-up club for get news and updates um this episode was meant to come out yesterday at time of recording and it didn't so i had to switch the schedule and you got a quiz instead uh scheduling updates like that will appear on our facebook page just mm-hmm. search there and finally subscribe um if you're just like i don't care what order or when the episodes come out i just want them on my device and in my ears then uh subscribe through itunes soundcloud spotify however you choose to get your podcasts um and you can hear us each and every week uh but that is all for this week and just remember kids if you're not good for christmas what you'll get is just my half of the original recording <laughs> constantly. Yes, that is the coal Not in your stocking. Coal, yeah. <laughs> it's just Katrina making good points and then silent for a bit and then going, hmm. Mm, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, or, but yes. Or cackling. You could just fill in your own side of the conversation. Mm. But if you are hearing this, it means you have been good. Uh, so, and you yeah. get the proper thing. Yes, enjoy. With all the people. But that is all for this week. So until next time, Merry Hogs Watch, everybody. Merry Hogs Ho, ho, ho. Oh, oh, You have been listening to a Thought Jar Productions podcast. For more information, please visit thoughtjarproductions.com.